If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Hold your spot there. We're going to move around just a little bit this morning, but Luke chapter 1, starting somewhat of a new series. Um, no, uh, no real theme outside of it. It's a Christmas series. So we're going to begin today by looking at a message titled, The Silence of Christmas. Luke chapter 1, and uh, hold your spot there. So how many of you would say that you are movie people? You like not watching at home, but you like to go to the movies to actually see movie in a movie theater. All right, let me see. Raise your hands up. About half, maybe, give or take. That's about the same in the, uh, in the first service as well. So I don't go to a lot of movies, and I don't watch a whole lot of movies. I enjoy when I get to go. And, uh, but, you know, for me, one thing I would say is, where were those recliners back when I was a kid? Because those things are just awesome. And, uh, and so for those of you that go to a movie, you know the whole experience, right? You, know, you get to, to see the big screens. Some of them are gigantic screens. And... Um, the whole, uh, you know, paying the prices for the food and the snacks. I've got popcorn and a Coke on layaway at the movie theater out there near the mall. One more payment and I get it. I get to enjoy it. And so you kind of know the whole drill. But whenever you go and you get to watch the movie, you know, you sit down and, and typically, if you're like most, you get there a little bit early. And uh, you get your food and you get your drink and you settle into your seat. And, uh, and then they have these things called previews that run for about two and a half hours before the actual movie starts, it feels like. And so these previews go and you're watching, you're watching these previews and about half the people in the room are paying attention. You know, they're kind of locked in because they want to see what's coming down the road. They want to see what's next, you know, whether it's that, that next, you know, month or the, the coming summer or what have you. And so about half are locked in. The other half of the people in the room you know, they're checking their phones, scrolling through their phones, or they're eating their snacks, or they're chit-chatting, talking, whatever, just kind of disengaged and, and uh, sort of zoning out. But then undoubtedly what happens is there's a period where the lights go down, and uh, that curtain closes, and everything goes silent. And in just a couple of seconds, you hear the, the voice over the loudspeaker say something like, and now our feature presentation. And the lights come up and the curtain opens and the thing that you came for ultimately appears and the movie begins. Now, in the Bible, what you find is you've got two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, in a sense, it's kind of like that period of time, in a way, for our illustrations today, they're kind of like the, <clears throat> the previews in a way. They point forward to something later that's going to be that feature presentation. And what we see here in the Old Testament is that all through the Old Testament, God revealed himself and God showed himself for who he was. It started with Adam and Eve in the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, when God created Adam and Eve and it says that he walked with them in the cool of the day. I mean, their fellowship was unbroken because sin had not been committed yet. And so God was in fellowship with his people in an unbroken fashion there in the garden. You move forward a little bit into the book of Exodus, sin has now entered into God's creation, not by God's fault, but by ours. And you find that in the, in the book of Exodus, that God is still revealing himself, even though sin has occurred in the lives of the people he had created. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, there he is at the burning bush, and we find that God is communicating. He's revealing himself to Moses so significantly and so clearly that Moses would actually begin to worship God right there at that burning bush. He knew who it was that was in that bush. You move forward a little bit further into uh, Old Testament history, 
And you see that the God's people, the people of Israel, would begin to build a tabernacle. And as they would wander through the wilderness for close to their complete 40 years, they would have a tabernacle there that they would move, they would construct it, and then whenever they would move on to the next place, they would take it down, they would move, they would reconstruct it again wherever it was that they were. And what would God do? Many of you know, he would fill that tabernacle with his glory. It was a visual of his presence that God was there. He was still communicating with his people. You move further into the Old Testament, and you find the prophets that come up, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, prophets like Jonah, major prophets, minor prophets, that that would ultimately be God's mouthpiece to God's people, and in some cases, even to pagan nations, right? And that God, all through the Old Testament, would be revealing himself. He wasn't playing hide and seek. He was revealing himself because he wanted to be known. He wanted to be known by his people, and he wanted his people, the Israelites, to be a light to the nations, God was revealing himself throughout the Old Testament. And yet there would come a time at the close of the Old Testament where the the, the curtain would close and the lights would go down and things would go silent until the feature presentation. Now that feature presentation we would understand to be described in the New Testament, also described in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament we would see it come into fruition where God himself, unlike ever before in human history, would come amongst his people since they had fallen in the person of Jesus. And he would reveal himself most clearly. In fact, if you want to hold your spot in the book of Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1, you can flip over to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. If you'd like, or you can read on the screen behind me, because it's in Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament that we see kind of the author of Hebrews' description of the feature presentation, that it was Jesus who had come. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, this is a reference to the Old Testament, in these last days, the writer of Hebrews says, has spoken to us in his Son, in Jesus whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. That's what we just sung about just a moment ago. Look in verse 3. It says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, when he died for us on the cross, rose again. It says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so what the writer of Hebrews is describing here, what the New Testament unfolds for us, is what we can call today the feature presentation. It's the coming of Jesus. Matthew in chapter 1 verse 23 in the gospel he wrote would say that this is Emmanuel, this is God with us. I mean, this was the greatest thing that you could imagine, that God was not speaking through burning bushes and through a tabernacle and through prophets. Now, God had come, literally, God with skin, God in the flesh, and the person of Jesus had come to dwell. John chapter 1 would say that he pitched his tent amongst us. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled amongst us. There's this connection back to the Old Testament. I mean, this was a huge day. This was truly the feature presentation. But when the curtain closed at the close of the Old Testament with the prophet Malachi, and then the, the, the curtain rises again, right, and the feature presentation begins uh, in the Gospels, how long do you think that time was? I mean, it, was it, it was a certain amount of time between the Old and New Testament. Well, let me just harken back for a moment, and, 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 and let's go back to the movie theater for just a second. Let's say you're in the movie theater, and, uh, and that curtain comes down, and uh, the lights go, go dim, and everything is dark, and you're waiting for the, for the big show to start, the feature presentation, 
it's usually only a few seconds. What, what if that break for you in the movie theater wasn't a few seconds? What if it was a few minutes? Right, you're still sitting there in the dark, and, and your popcorn's gone, all $14 worth of it. I mean, you ate it during the previews, and you're sitting there, you're, you're waiting. I mean, this is only supposed to be a couple of seconds. It's dark. The curtain came down. When's it going to open? We're waiting here for the movie. If it went a few minutes, you begin to look at each other and kind of think, like, what is going on here? Something must, be, something, must be, something must have gone wrong. Well, imagine if it wasn't just a few minutes. Imagine you're sitting there waiting, and it's a few hours. You're thinking, this is not the way this is supposed to work. And people begin to grumble. Some people get up and they, 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 they leave. They just walk away. Imagine it's not a few hours. Imagine it's a few days. <laughs> right? I mean, you went to the movie on Friday night and it's Monday afternoon. It's lunch. It's like, I've been here for three days here. I mean, what's going on? Here's what you would say. You'd say, I'm never coming back to this theater again. Well, see, there, there was a period of time between the Old Testament and the New. Malachi, the last prophet that we read of, the last book of the Old Testament, between him and the Gospels, in your Bible, you can check it out on your own sometime, but you've probably only got a few pages between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New. Right, you've probably got some pages there that explain a little bit of what went on between the Old and the New Testament in history, and maybe you've got some charts and that kind of stuff, right? But what's only a few pages in your Bible, in reality, was 400 years in real time. 400 years. And you can imagine that much like you in that movie theater, after a few minutes, you kind of wonder what's going on. After a few hours, you're, you're thinking, I'm out of here. After a few days, you'd be saying, I'm never coming back. You kind of wonder if maybe over 400 years, when Malachi, when, he, when he, he was gone and there was no more prophetic voice that we have in Scripture, no more prophetic voice in the land of Israel for four centuries, 400 years, you can imagine that there were some, perhaps, who wondered to themselves, so what exactly is going on? There may have been others who wondered to themselves, so has God left us? And there were others who maybe just said, you know what, we're done with this. We'll chart our own path from here on out. Malachi would be the last Old Testament prophet that you have listed in your Bible 400 years, theologians call it the intertestamental period. Roll that out at work tomorrow, you might get a free cup of coffee. The intertestamental period, it's between the testaments, the old and the new. 400 years of no prophetic voice, 400 years virtually of silence. And I wonder maybe if today, if maybe there aren't even some in this place more than what we can imagine, that you can remember when you were kind of there in your own life. I'm not talking about you were between the Testaments. That's, that's kind of odd to think about. But I'm talking about maybe for you, you can remember when you were at a season in your life when it seemed like God went silent and things went dark. Maybe it was when you lost your job. <clears throat> Had a conversation with this week with another person in ministry who walked into work to virtually find out that his ministry position was no longer needed and he was out of work. Some of you maybe remember being in that place where you walked into work one day and you found out that your position was no longer available, your services were no longer needed, and what you had counted on for years, maybe even decades, ended up no longer being there. And maybe what for you happened was that kick-started a season of life for you where it seemed like God had gone silent and you wondered, God, what is going on here? God, God, why is this even happening to me? God, I'm praying and I, I go to church and I try to obey you and I try to follow you and it just seems like you're silent. How, how come you're not providing for, for another job for me? How come you're not coming through? Maybe it wasn't a job you lost. Maybe it was a loved one that you lost. Maybe it was a plan that you had in place for so long that never really came to fruition. Maybe it was a prayer that you prayed 
for days and days and months and weeks and years and maybe even decades and you've wondered during those silent years where it seems like God has just disappeared. You've wondered, like, what is going on? Is he even here? Does he even care? Does he even love me? And you've even wondered maybe, maybe I should just just walk away. And, And perhaps for some, it's a wonder you're even here today, really. Because you're in the middle of that period where it's dry and your faith is shaken. And it's a testament to your willingness to just stick to it, that you're here. Because God seems so silent and God seems so far away. 400 years of silence. But there are some lessons to learn. I'm going to give you two principles this morning. And we're going to walk through the life of a couple of people in the Old Testament that aren't often featured prominently during this season of the year. I want to give you two principles first. Just keep this in mind. Number one, you can jot these down if you like. Silent does not mean absent. And silent does not mean inactive. That when it seems as though God is silent, when we go through those seasons of testing or trial in our life, when it seems as though things aren't coming together or our faith is so weak or we feel so vulnerable or shaken because of something that happened or maybe because of our own sin and we feel like God would have nothing to do with me because I've blown it, I've crossed the line, I've walked away, he's never going to take me back, whatever the reason is. Whenever we feel as though we're in the midst of those silent years, just remember that silent doesn't mean absent and silent doesn't mean inactive. I want to introduce you to two characters in the true story of Christmas. We find them in Luke chapter 1. The, the husband's name is Zacharias, depending on the translation you use. I use the New American Standard. His name is written as Zacharias. If you use a different translation, maybe the uh, English Standard Version, it may list him as Zechariah. Right, regardless, it's the same person. But his name is Zacharias and his wife's name is Elizabeth. And we find their story here featured in Luke chapter 1. Jesus is going to be born in Luke chapter 2. This is kind of the setup for the story. But what we find here is a beautiful picture, I believe, and a very accurate and a very clear picture of what it looks like when we go through a season of seeming silence from God and we're reminded that silent isn't absent and silent doesn't mean inactive. And so let's go ahead and jump in with the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1 and let's start down in, let's start in verse 5 and we're going to begin to pick up their story. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. All right, so we begin to piece together a little bit about this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. One thing we learn about them from that passage was that they were advanced in years. It doesn't give us an age of how old they were to be described as advanced in years. I do know that for me, what I found historically is the older I get, the further away that advanced in years definition goes down the line, okay? So when you're like 17, advanced in years is 35. When you hit 35, it's more like 55. And when you hit 55, advanced in years is somewhere around about 130, okay? So we don't know exactly how old they were here. It doesn't say all we know was is that they were advanced in years. And you can imagine that through those years as a married couple, they had prayed for God to bless them with a child. And the Bible says that they were not able to conceive a child. 
that they did not have a child specifically. It also tells us that Zacharias was a priest. It tells us that he was a priest in a certain line. If you look at it again, if we can bring that passage back up again, you can see there in verse 5 it says that he was a priest in the division of Abijah. Now this is interesting because on one hand, make note of this, even though God had not spoken prophetically, there was no prophetic voice. And when I, when I say it that way, I mean that the prophets were the mouthpiece of God in the Old Testament. When Malachi closed out at the end of the Old Testament, again, that 400 years there was no voice representing representing God in Scripture. However, worship continued through that time. I mean, we get to the New Testament and we find that there's temple worship that's taking place. Well, there were certain divisions of priests, and this goes all the way back deep into the Old Testament, where there had been 24 divisions of priests that had been put in place for Israel. 24 different divisions, and I'm going somewhere with this, so follow me. Of the 24 different divisions of priests, one of those divisions was the division of Abijah, of which Zacharias was a part. Each of those 24 divisions, uh, uh, there's a book called The Characters of Christmas written by Daniel Darling. He mentions in there that each division had 300 priests that were assigned to it. So 24 divisions of priests, 300 priests in each division. There's a lot of priests. Every two weeks, a different division would be responsible for the worship in the temple. 24 divisions, two weeks each, it's 48 weeks. And then for the major festivals, it was all hands on deck. So we find here that Zacharias is a priest serving in the division of Abijah, one of 24 divisions, 300 priests in each division. Let's go down to verse 8. It says, now it happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, right? Undoubtedly, it was his division, the the division of Abijah. It was their two-week span. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So this is the, the division of Abijah's two-week span to serve in the temple. 300 priests in the division. Lots were cast, as was customary, as it says there in Luke 1. And the name of Zacharias was drawn. His lot was drawn. That same author I just referenced, Daniel Darling, says that you can imagine one in 300. This would very possibly have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias to be able to offer incense at the altar in the temple. I mean, what are the odds of having your name drawn when you've got 299 other people? You could go perhaps your whole priestly service, right? Your whole priestly life and not be able to do this. So this was a big day. This was a moment that for Zacharias he would have never forgotten. Don't forget the curtain closed at the end of the Old Testament with Malachi. And don't forget that as far as Zacharias is concerned, that curtain hasn't opened again and the future presentation hasn't started. They've been waiting 400 years. Look at what it says next here in Luke chapter 1. Let's go down to verse 11. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the altar of incense, he's there in the temple. He's making and presenting, or, or there to present this, um, this offer, offering of incense. Verse 12, Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, when he saw the angel of the Lord, and fear gripped him. 
But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and, will, and you will give him the name John. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now this is interesting. Because remember, silent doesn't mean absent, silent doesn't mean inactive. And what we find here in this verse, it's so cool that Luke points this out, that the words of the angel, he said to him, specifically in verse 13, your petition has been heard. In the silence, God was not absent, God was present. In the silence, God was not inactive, God was very much present. At work, And it says there, when the angel makes the pronouncement, that you're going to have a son, right? He and his wife are advanced in years. They've been praying for this probably the majority of their marriage. And now God proves that he had been present, proves that he had heard their prayers, proves that he was at work. And he ultimately says, you are going to bear a son and his name is going to be John. Now, who is this talking about? Who, who, who's John? This is John the Baptist, right? The one named after the Baptist church. Just kidding, all right? This is John the Baptist. This is who they're talking about. Now, let's go a little bit further. Jesus hasn't been born yet. That's come in Luke chapter 2. Let's go down to verse 15. <clears throat> the angel describes John the Baptist. He says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. That's an interesting passage. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before Jesus, before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All right, can we connect some dots here for just a second? And I want you to follow me on this. Old Testament, curtain closes. Malachi, or my Old Testament professor used to call him the Italian prophet Malachi. I think we typically should call him Malachi. Uh, all due respect to my former Old Testament professor. <clears throat> curtain closes. Malachi is the last prophet we see in the Old Testament. 400 years, the curtain rises, and we now have God bringing a message again to his people. How ironic that he brings the message first to a man named Zacharias whose name literally means the Lord has remembered. <laughs> and what is it that we see when we begin to connect the dots? Let's go back to Malachi for just a second. Let's go back to the last two verses of the entire Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6. What does he say? Just before the curtain closes for 400 years of silence... He says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. <clears throat> he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, sound familiar, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. He says, I am going to bring one in the spirit of Elijah. I'm not going to replicate Elijah all over again. I'm bringing one in the spirit and power of Elijah. You then go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 17. What is it the angel says to Zacharias? It's he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And then he continues to go on and say at the end of that verse, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Matthew would comment on this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. 
And verse 14, listen how Matthew would describe this. He says in Matthew 11, verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. He's quoting Jesus here, by the way. All the prophets and the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. You connect the dots and what you see is that beautifully at the start of the Gospels, that there's this connection. It's like taking the hand of the New Testament, spanning across 400 years of silence, taking the hand of the Old Testament, and you put the two together to make the story complete. And all along that span of 400 years, when now the, the, the sharpest minds that study theology say, well, this is the silent period. This is the intertestamental period. It paints this picture that God was absent. God was in a bad mood. God was not working. Couldn't be further from the truth. God was not in a bad mood. He was enacting his plan in perfect timing. Galatians would say that, that, that it was in the perfect time that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. That God was very much active. He was very much present. In fact, over the span of that 400 years five different world powers would reign over the land of Palestine five different world powers over 400 years in history would reign over the land of Palestine it would be Persia it would be Greece Egypt Syria and Rome it would be the Greeks in the midst of that 400 year span follow me on this don't so now because we're talking history just 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 lock in here for just a second it would be the Greeks in the midst of that 400 years of silence that would introduce to that region of the world a common language called Koine Greek it would be like when you travel to other countries today and your flight lands and you get off and you're on soil of another country and another continent and many of the people there speak English there's a commonality, there's a common language. That was Koine Greek 2,000 years ago. When the Greek uh, um, <clears throat> empire ruled over the land of Palestine, they introduced this common language so that when Jesus the Messiah was born and when the Apostle Paul later would come and spread the message of the gospel, it would be in a language that everybody could understand. When the Romans would come and they would be the last empire, really the empire into which Jesus would be born himself, the Roman Empire would in, implement a season of peace called the Pax Romana. Some of you remember studying that. They would also bring into existence this elaborate road system of these roads that made travel throughout the vast Roman Empire much more possible than in days past. The scene was set for the gospel not only to come in the person of Jesus, but for the message to be spread all over the known world in the fullness of time. And it's in the midst of this 400 years of seeming silence between the curtain falling and the curtain rising for the feature presentation when there were some who thought, what is going on? When others may have thought, has he forgotten us? And when I'm sure others said, you know what, we're just going to walk away. That in the midst of all of that, God was very present and God was very active. And in the midst of your valley today, no matter what started it, no matter what brought it, whether it was the loss of something precious, maybe it was the loss of someone special, maybe it was a hardship that's come that has caused your faith to be shaken. In the midst of your season today, for those of you that are there, when it seems like God is so far away and so silent and so, so um, uh, inactive, listen, he is very much at work because he loves you. And he has a plan, a very specific plan for your life that he's going to bring in he's going to bring into play. Our church offers a ministry called Grief Share, and uh, there are a significant number now through the years of folks that have gone through that particular um, ministry 
<clears throat> Grief Share has a variety of people who speak on the videos there. There's one in particular named Paul David Tripp. Some of you, if you've been through Grief Share, he's the guy with the bushy mustache, if you've been through our Grief Share class. And uh, he's a theologian to some degree. He's an author. Uh, he's a speaker. And he made a comment years ago uh, that I saw on one of these Grief Share associated videos that I, that I was... Um, that I was viewing. He made a comment that through the years has stuck with me. Speaking of Christmas and knowing how for so many Christmas the holidays can be difficult because it reminds them of what they once had that they don't have any longer. It reminds them of one who once sat at the table who's not at the table any longer. It reminds them of a season that they've not experienced in a long time. And for many, when they go through Christmas and it's just a time of struggle and a time of suffering, Paul David Tripp made a comment that resonated with me. He said that Christmas is the sufferer's holiday. Because it was in the, the, the context of, of loss and even of sin and of suffering. It was in the context of all of that mess that God chose to step in with both feet. And he came in the person of Jesus. And he didn't stand aloof and he didn't stand apart. And he wasn't inactive and he wasn't absent. But rather he chose to be more present than ever before. And he stepped in in the person of Jesus who came and he left heaven. And he stepped into the mess and into the sin though he was sinless. And into the hurt and into the pain and into the brokenness. And he brought redemption and he brought peace and he brought joy and he brought forgiveness and he brought hope and he brought salvation to the point to where this truly is it's the sufferer's holiday because it's the reminder that whenever the curtain falls and it seems like it hasn't come up again for a long time reminds us that God really is here Emmanuel God with us it reminds us that he really is active and in ways we can't see Behind the scenes, he is very much at work for your ultimate good. Psalm chapter 46, I close with this passage. The setting many believe in Psalm 46 was 700 years before Jesus would be born. Many believe that the setting of Psalm chapter 46, the backdrop of that psalm that was written, <clears throat> was a backdrop of the people of Israel being invaded by Assyria. And in the midst of that dark season in Israel's life, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 46 writes, look at what he says. He says in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. That word Selah means, just think about this, think about the implications of what we've just read. That's what that word means. Dwell on this. Verse 4, he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. God is very much in control. No matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the night, God is present and God is active. So what do we do? What do we do when we go through those seasons of life. Maybe for you, maybe you're there even right now when it seems as though God is silent. What, what, what do we do? Let me give you three things real quick and we're done. 
Number one, when it seems as though God is silent, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Christ, I think the first thing that we can do is to press in closer to him. If you go through a season in your life, in your faith, where your faith feels weak, where it seems like God is absent, where it seems like he's not hearing your prayers, where you've gone through uh, loss or challenge or hardship or even a season of sin, when you think God would never have me back again, whenever it seems as though that darkness is closing in, one of the best things we can do is press in closer to him. Remember when you were a kid, right? And, and you were six, seven years old or so. And you would go through maybe it's kind of this, this, this roadway or somewhere where it was dark and you're walking with a parent and, and ever, you know, you'd feel, begin to feel kind of fear start to creep in there. What would you do? You wouldn't push away from your mom or dad and, and, and walk down the dark road by yourself. No, what you would do was whenever it felt especially dark or especially, especially fearful, you would pull in a little closer. You'd hold their hand a little tighter, right? You'd press in closer during those times. And for us, when we go through a time when it seems like, as Christians, God is silent, or we go through a season of hurt or loss, the best thing we can do is to press in closer. Now, that's not just figurative language, right, that you've got to figure out. How do we press in closer? We press in closer through his word. We dig into his word. That's where his promises are. That's where his truths are. That's where his remembrances are of how much he loves us and he cares for us and he's working and he's pulling all things together for good. We press in close through his word. We press in close through worship. Right? We don't distance ourselves from God's people. We, we, we move ourselves into the midst of God's people because that's where encouragement is supposed to be. That's where iron sharpens iron. That's where we find others who say, I've walked this road that you're just now beginning. I've come through the other side and you're going to be okay. God is faithful. Right? We're pressing closer through that, that time of prayer, through worship, through his word, with his people. Second thing we can do whenever it seems as though God is silent, is that we can praise God for what we've seen. We can praise him for what we know. Right? Let's say you're going through a season of difficulty right now. Remember what it was like when you walked in that light, right? Remember what it was like when you could see God clearly. Remember the things that you've learned about who he is, that he does love you, that he is for you, not against you. Remember those things that you've seen him do in your life in the past. Remember all the things that you know that are true about him already. And then number three, for those things that you don't yet know, right? Maybe you're in the midst of a valley and that valley seems dark. You don't know what's going to come to the other end. You don't know when you're going to come out. You don't know when the curtain's going to raise, so to speak, and things are going to begin to feel better. You don't know when it's going to seemingly the silence of God is going to go away. Those things that you don't know, those things that you can't see yet, trust him with those details because he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And all through the Old Testament, God proved throughout it from beginning to, from Genesis to Malachi, he proved that he was he was present, that he was active. All through the New Testament, regardless of what was faced, even when Jesus was in the tomb for those three days, God proved throughout the New Testament, uh, the death and the burial of Jesus as well, God proved that he was present and that he was active. All through that 400 years of seeming silence from God, he proved that he was present and active. And in your life, no matter what you face, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the night, God will prove to you that he's present and that he's active. Silent doesn't mean absent. Silent doesn't mean inactive. He's your very present help in times of trouble. And Christian, there's a lot of hope to that. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want you to take a moment to think to yourself. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Think to yourself, has there been a time in my life when I know for certain that I've yielded myself to Jesus, that I've turned from my sin, invited Jesus to forgive 
and to be my Savior, my Lord? Has there been a time when I've invited him to save me, to forgive me and take over? And if you have, and you're in the midst of one of those times where it seems as though God is so far away that he's so silent, could you just take a moment right now and just praise him for who he is and for what he's done? Praise him for the things that you know are true about him, that he does love you, that he is here, that he does have a plan that he's working in your life. Can you ask him right now to just build your faith and to give you a heart of trust as you move through days where you can't see what's going to come in the future, where you don't know what's going to happen? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, ask yourself, what is it today that would keep me from making the decision today, right now, to lay down my sin and to invite Jesus to save me and take over? And if there's nothing that's keeping you from doing it, Right where you sit this morning, perhaps this could be the day where everything changes for you. Listen, where you pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sin, to rescue and save you, to be your Savior and your Lord. And when you do that, there are still going to be hard days that come. But what you'll see is is the curtain will close on that old life, (laughs) and it's going to rise to a new life where Jesus reigns forever in you. God, we thank you this morning for those who today, maybe for the first time, are praying even right now in their seats, inviting Jesus to forgive and to save them, expressing their desire to follow you, Lord Jesus, from this day forward. And we thank you for the many in this room today, those that are watching on our, uh, on our live stream, God, who've already made the decision to give their lives to Jesus And Lord, we know we're not immune from hardship and difficulty that comes. But God, we thank you that we never walk alone through those times. Never can we ever say, even when it seems as though you're silent, that you're absent or inactive, God. You are always here. You're always present. You're always at work. And God, we thank you that you're a God who doesn't shy away from the valleys that come, but you walk with us through them. God, may we be faithful to press close and to praise you, and to trust you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.